Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 25th day of March, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and I guess, without question, we need to begin with the worldwide banking system meltdown and implosion in part because that's some of the news that you're probably not going to hear about until Monday morning, if, in fact, what we've been expecting for a long time actually happens this weekend as opposed to uh, sometime real soon now. And I'm talking about the bank holiday, or we can't control it anymore, and we can't even hide it at this point, announcement. And some of us cynics might actually say that happened on Friday. The Fed's Open Market Committee met this week, did basically exactly what everybody expected, but that wasn't the real news. We'll come back to that in just a second. Meanwhile, though, before we got into the weekend, other real news was eclipsing that. Such as, no, it's not just Credit Suisse, and we'll come back to that. It's not just, of course, SVB, First Republic, Signature, and all the others that are collapsing in the United States. And, oh, yeah, Yellen admits we may not be able to have enough, even though we won't call it a bailout, Fake money in the system to cover all of the deposits, which uh, upset a lot of people, even though it should have been obvious. But now it's Deutsche Bank that's joined the fray. Their shares tumbled on Friday after the cost of insuring the lender against the probably inevitable default, at least it draws closer, continued to rise. Said Barron's, the move followed a spike in the price of the lender's credit default swaps to a four-year high on Thursday, quoting Reuters. But the kiss of death may have been from the German jawboner-in-chief, Schultz. Who said, yeah, he sees nothing, no reason to worry. The European banking system is robust und stable. Und Deutsche Bank is very profitable. So, no, don't worry your pretty little heads about it. Which means, of course, everybody with half a brain is going, uh-oh, maybe it's time to panic now. Even the communist Macron, after having put a million Frenchmen on the streets protesting his move to destroy their pensions, said, eh, European banks have solid fundamentals. And I'll say it again, folks. When the communists and the fascists tell you, don't worry, the banking system is just fine, you better start by checking your wallet. (laughs) Even Jim Cramer came out and said, your money is safe at Deutsche Bank. So uh, for those that understand the Cramer put, why, it may be time to sell them short. And how bad is it? As Tyler Durden and Zero Hedge noted, Yellen convenes an emergency financial stability meeting on Friday as the banking crisis explodes or re-explodes. And this is the woman who was single-handedly responsible for at least stoking it or restarting it on Wednesday after the FOMC meeting. Like I said, we'll do that review here in a minute, but you've probably heard some of it by now. She's going to convene the heads of the top U.S. financial regulators on Friday for a previously unscheduled meeting of the Financial Stability Oversight Council. The meeting is, of course, closed to the public, and you may or may not hear about it before it's too late. And this step comes and says, as regulators continue efforts to instill calm in the financial markets and amongst bank depositors following the recent string of failures. And with brilliant financial minds like Janet Yellen on the case, folks, no wonder people are starting to panic. From there, let's go back and take a look at the day after. Wednesday, of course, was FOMC Day, and the almighty Fed did... Basically, nothing that pretty much anybody didn't expect. They raised interest rates 25 basis points or a quarter percent. Really not news, except a whole lot of churn followed. Here's the widely followed Michael Every of Rabobank, who said essentially, what a mess. 
He begins by quoting Fed watcher Philip Mary's post-FOMC note entitled Credit Tightening to say, a final observation, the Fed continues to stumble its way through the fight, ha <laughs> yeah, sure, against inflation. First, they tried to explain it away by claiming it was transitory. Consequently, they were late when it comes to starting the hiking cycle, now that they're finally approaching positive territory for the real funds rate, and uh, that's debatable, folks, because they lie about inflation, remember? But anyway, now that they're finally getting there, they're close to ending the hiking cycle and leaving the rest of the fight against inflation to credit tightening by the banks. So Mary asks a question. Because the Fed failed in its regulatory role to prevent the recent banking turmoil, and now they're failing as a central bank on both fronts, is it up to the banking sector to get inflation under control? What a mess. And picking it right up there, Michael Every says, well, it's even worse than that. The Fed hiked 25 basis points and shifted language such that Philip now sees only one more quarter point hike, maybe in May. So we're closer to a pause. Yet, says Rabobank, as I kept saying a few months back, this is the pause that doesn't refresh. And essentially, we're still bracing for an upside surprise. Inevitably, your host would say, on the inflation front. Meanwhile, while Fed Chairman Powell was claiming that the U.S. banking system is safe and sound, Treasury Secretary, yeah, the moron herself, Janet Yellen, (laughs) who, remember this, claimed back in 2017, back when she was in Powell's slot, that there would never be another financial crisis, quote, in my lifetime. But now she seems to have topped even her own memorable event of foot-in-mouth disease. River was deep, but I swam it. Janet. The future is ours, so let's plan it. Janet. So please, don't tell me to can it. Janet. I've one thing to say, and that's damn it, Janet. Yeah, damn it, Janet is the title of a follow-up from Tyler Durden and Zero Hedge when she pulled the rug out from Powell's dovish promises, it said. And paper precious metals exploded upward again while banks busted. Nothing, says their lead chart, sums up the trapped Fed better than today's price action. And what happened precisely after Janet opened her mouth? And as you might gather, folks, amidst all the churn, it's important to pay attention to the timeline. Right, Zero Hedge, Powell hiked rates 25 basis points. Quantitative tightening was maintained exactly as expected, but he offered a dovish tilt in the statement and in his comments, summing it all up succinctly early on during the press conference, saying it'll go bumpy when it comes to uh, getting inflation, already out of control, back down, still admitting it has a long way to go. But the major price action took place as Powell was speaking. As he was saying that deposit flows in the banking system have stabilized, noting their strong actions, but he failed to comment on the massive rotation likely below the surface from small banks to the big mega banks, claiming that the FOMC considered their pause right now, but the hike was supported by a, quote, strong consensus, in spite of what I guess you might call the recent near panic, folks. And stocks at least started, briefly, to ramp on up. Well, as it says, then came Janet who blew it all by saying that they're not considering a, quote, broad increase in deposit insurance. It's amazing, said Zero Hedge, how she seems to do it every single day now, which immediately torpedoed stocks and took them right back to the lows of the day. And back now to Michael Every of Rabobank, who said she was telling markets the FDIC would not extend deposit insurance, thus increasing the risk of outflows and credit tightening. So he said it would be nice if Powell and Yellen coordinated their policies rather than working in opposite directions, as yesterday, and over, quote, QT versus the TGA which stands for Treasury General Account. And I guess I have to disagree just a bit with Mr. Rabobank. 
Maybe they're just playing good cop and bad cop, or in this case, maybe it's dumb cop and dumber. Well, anyway, Every has a lot more to say about the general direction of interest rates, what might be coming next, and what we can expect. But basically, this is a great summary. No matter what kind of a mess you think the Fed is in today, those looking at things from what he calls the grand strategy perspective are even more worried. And summarizes Zero Hedge, the odds of a 25 basis point hike in May have now dropped, says the market, from around 70% to below 50-50. The Dow is down over 500 points and so on. The dollar puked to six-week lows. Bitcoin was clubbed like a baby seal, down from almost 29,000 to just below 27.5. And gold and silver both spiked on the dovish statement, while oil, or WTI, extended its gains from yesterday and is now back above 70 bucks a barrel. Well, said this morning's follow-up from Tyler Durden's Zero Hedge. After yesterday's yelling-driven bloodbathery in stocks, it seems a good night's sleep may have calmed all of those nerves, and the machines are back in panic buying mode. NASDAQ is leading the charge this morning, but the Dow and S&P have now erased all those losses from yesterday in the release of the FOMC statement. <laughs> and once again, the markets proved that they may not really have any long-term memory. From there, let's move on to some waste stream postmortem FOMC analysis. For example, Fortune magazine says that the U.S. economy, at least according to J.P. Morgan, and hey, if they don't know who does, right, is likely headed for a recession. A series of banking crises this month, they write, headlined by the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, have forced a number of analysts from major banks, including J.P. Morgan Chase, to rewrite their recession forecasts from scratch. As months of small victories against inflation and a relatively strong economy, yeah, sure, were potentially swept away in just under two weeks. And are you ready for this? They now say that the, quote, engines are about to turn off. <laughs> and here some of us thought they might never figure it out. But there's more. Here are the modern monetary theorists from the left-leaning Daily Mail in the U.K. weighing in. The Federal Reserve's latest interest rate hike, they say, could mean higher borrowing costs for some consumers, especially those carrying large credit card debt. And as the headline puts it, what the Fed's rate hike means for your wallet. Quarter point increase will add 1.7 billion fiat bucks to U.S. credit card bills over the next year. And people with variable interest rate credit cards or loans could see even higher payments. Although perhaps mortgages have already priced it in. Here's a little eyebrow raiser that the Zero Hedge folks have put out. The FDIC has unexpectedly delayed their bid deadline for the Silicon Valley private bank. Over the past weekend, it says, it's been determined that the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, remember, you're not going to have to bail out bad banks unless you count hyperinflation. They were going to break Silicon Valley Bank up into two separate auctions. But now the auction for SVB's wealth management unit has been delayed. And uh, guess what? They're not saying why. Although this also is a bit of an eyebrow raiser, another headline from Zero Hedge says, Bill Ackman has now blamed Janet Yellen for restarting the bank run, adding, we're headed for another train wreck. It's almost like every time Janet Yellen opens her mouth, stock's dumb. And as Tyler Durden continued, while we generally like to make fun of Ackman's self-serving hot takes on Twitter, today he was right when he accused Yellen of effectively restarting the small bank depositor run, which, according to J.P. Morgan, has already seen $1.1 trillion in assets withdrawn from vulnerable banks. And this is how Ackman put it. Yesterday, Secretary Yellen made reassuring comments that led the market and depositors to believe all deposits were now implicitly guaranteed. That 
coupled with a leak suggesting that the U.S. Treasury, FDIC, and Secretary Yellen herself were all looking for a way to guarantee all deposits, reassured the banking sector and depositors. But this afternoon, Secretary Yellen walked back yesterday's implicit support for small banks and depositors while making it explicit that system-wide deposit guarantees were not being considered. So, as he put it, that means we've gone from implicit support for depositors to Yellen's explicit statement today that no guarantee is being considered and rates now being raised to 5%, which is a threshold that makes bank deposits that much less attractive. I'd be surprised, he said, if deposit outflows don't accelerate effective immediately. <laughs> and you know it, folks. The problem is trust takes years to earn but can be wiped out in the blink of an eye or at least the insertion of a foot into a mouth. And here I think it's important to point out what Zero Hedge and many others have. Let's do some math. There is supposedly $125 billion bucks, which sounds like a lot, but remember, most of us were raised back in the days when even $100 was a lot of money. There are $125 billion in the so-called deposit insurance fund, but there are $18 trillion in the U.S. in total deposits. One more headline, this time from Hal Turner's radio show. Breaking news, it says... UBS, that's a big Swiss bank you may recall, is reportedly engaging in meetings right now seeking to terminate their widely publicized deal to acquire Credit Suisse and basically bail out all of the Swiss banking system. If they do back out, Credit Suisse will fail, enter bankruptcy, and there will be a uh, bulge bracket bank, a.k.a. too-big-to-fail bank, that's now gone under officially. Which could, say some, be that black swan event that inevitably begins to kick off, well, even more dominoes is the way I guess your host has to put it. And more and more people are asking as we go into the weekend, have we seen that already or is it yet to come? From there, let's go back and fill in some of the other gaps, more or less chronologically, starting with the weekend and Monday morning. And this is how yours truly put it to start the week. Bienvenidos, compadres, a la República Banana de Bidenland. And yes, folks, it is a Monday, the 20th day of March, 2023. Obviously, no longer even remotely the constitutional republic that many of you thought you grew up in. And you've probably heard by now why I started off the week that way. Este no es Cuba, no es Venezuela. Pero it is no longer the United States, that's for sure. And we're certainly getting rapidly to the place where many of us might think a banana republic is a decided improvement over Biden land. And here's the news out of its provisional capital, Sorosville, a.k.a. Manhattan, New York City, where the openly whoring DA for the communists and George Soros has come right out and said what we all already knew. We don't need no stinking rule of law. We don't even pay attention to things like the statute of limitations when it comes to destroying an election before it even gets rigged. And there's obviously no soft peddling this, folks. Did you think for a second that a little bit of outright bribery, corruption, and even treason was going to result in the arrest of, oh, not even Hunter Biden or the criminals that put the fake senile guy that's been diapered on both ends and whose body doubles have more time on the international stage than he does in jail? As if he'd even know where he was? Of course not. But even Vladimir Lenin, when he purged his political enemies, had more finesse and more subtlety than these scumbags. Yeah, by now I'm pretty sure you've heard the story, although you probably haven't heard all of it, and none of us have heard the real story behind the story. But I think that's part of the reason why it's important to fill in the gaps via the timeline. But the fellow whose only remaining claim to actual fame was that he was elected to the presidency as opposed to having been appointed or shoved in there by force said over the weekend that, yep, he knows pretty sure that Big Brother is going to come and arrest him. They'll send the usual FBI goons or somebody impersonating an officer anyway, like New York's obviously no longer finest, come Tuesday this week. 
And you can bet CNN and all the other waste-stream media have been notified in advance, and they'll be there for the perp walk. And it'll be headline news, not only all over the country, but the world. And even though I haven't eaten recently, folks, I still can't bring myself to look at the New York Times or WAPO headlines, but the Daily Mail is bad enough. Here are just a couple of several. New York's Ring of Steel says one for Trump's looming arrest. Cops set up barriers after the former president, (laughs) some might argue, posed for selfies with fans at Mar-a-Lago sports cars and yacht party. Meanwhile, the city of Slime braces for the expected angry protests. Remember, folks, this is a leftist hellhole, and even they know that there are going to be at least a few people who can recognize what's going on. Puedes hablar estadio de policía? The result, it says, was a ring of steel being built around the lower Manhattan courthouse, sick, where Trump would be arraigned. And notice, they don't see the irony of building a wall around places that uh, there is no rule of law. They only forbid them around places they want to turn into banana republics. And we're there. Now, what's interesting about this indictment, well, actually a number of things, it is obviously the first time in the history of the once-free republic, now dead and buried, that even a criminal former president has actually been indicted or arrested for anything. But this one, whether it's true or not, is actually for what the state of New York calls a misdemeanor. The source prosecutor could care less about niceties like that and the rule of law. It's a felony when the guy they don't want running for president does it. And, oh, yeah, it's also a year and a half or so past the expiration of the statute of limitation if there was a crime to begin with. On Saturday, says the Daily Mail, quoting his Truth social media platform, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. And he added, protest, take our nation back. Which the media, of course, would like to say is incitement to riot, unless it's BLM or Antifa doing it. And in this case, folks, it's pretty hard to argue that that's not the obvious intent of Soros and his puppet DAs. But it does give the police state, wouldn't you know it, more than enough excuse to, quote, monitor online comments about the upcoming protests. And remember, see what we did to January 6th? You may end up in Sigulag, too, if you dare to uh, say anything about what we intend to do to anybody that opposes our agenda. Yeah, don't you know it? If we can arrest the former president of the United States and arguably still elected president, what can't we do to you peons? Ha <laughs> you're going to find out. The Daily Mail's follow-up headline chortles this. Trump will pose for a mugshot, be fingerprinted, unt held in custody until a deal is negotiated if he surrenders tomorrow in the Stormy Daniels case. What to expect, they say, if President Trump is indicted on charges that carry up to four years in prison. And I bet they've got people signing up already to be his cellmates and get the chance to gang rape the guy. I mean, just look at what they've already done to the Bill of Rights. Oh, yeah, and as for the leftist dream shot, well, it's an open question as whether they'll get exactly everything they want if Donald Trump is indicted, says the piece, for his role in an alleged hush money payment to a porn star. Oh, and you know the name, don't you? For sure, Stormy Daniels. She is a lot more famous than any of the rape or assault victims, for example, of Bill Clinton, like Juanita Broderick, Kathleen Willey, or Paula Jones. And obviously, folks, if you just rape them and don't pay them off, you can get away with, well, murder, as we've seen in previous presidential cases. Notice no indictments for any of that, not even for his partner in crime, who didn't get to be king. Okay, back to the Daily Mail salivation. 
The former president will be treated like any other suspect. Ah, oh, come on. Who are we kidding? No way. If he was treated like any other suspect in Manhattan or San Francisco or L.A., he'd have been back on the streets by now. At least if they had evidence that he'd committed a murder, armed robbery, arson, or carjacking, or anything else that immediately gets one paroled or even set free without bail. Hey, isn't that right, Paul Pelosi? But because they want to make an example out of him, quote, he will be read his Miranda rights as if he had any rights, fingerprinted, ut, posed for a mugshot. He may even be handicapped, uh, kneecapped, uh, no, handcuffed. But Trump will likely, it says, be spared the indignity of the oh-so-desirable perp walk in which a suspect is led out of the police station or the Manhattan DA's office in handcuffs in front of cameras for the world to see. Oh, yeah, the Daily Mail certainly won't say it. I will, and everybody else is thinking it. And for the New York snipers to get a beat on. Instead, he may, if the leftists are feeling really charitable, be allowed to walk in wearing a suit and tie surrounded by aides and secret service agents. That makes it a bit harder to execute the guy right there in public, although I can't help but be willing to bet there are at least some contentious he plans for that outcome. He could even, they say, make a deal with persecutors to come in via a back entrance and skip the growing media frenzy. Anyway, they bring him in, folks, if he gets killed... Think Lee Harvey Oswald and what was the guy's name? Oh, yeah, Jack Ruby. Just remember what Mark Twain said. History doesn't necessarily repeat exactly, but it rhymes. That's the only surefire, pun intended, way to absolutely positively prevent him from again winning the presidency. And I got to ask, will it be the second time or the third? And I'll come back to that in just a second. But I do think this is an important reminder point to review something that actually came out well before the election should have been cause for indictment if we actually had a rule of law. And it was arguably even before the guy became completely senile, but could at least admit publicly to a crime. I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko. They would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> Got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid at the time. Yeah, somebody like Soros' puppet, the Manhattan prosecutor, Alvin Bragg. Anybody else begin to see a pattern here? All right, well, I went through that because almost everybody listening certainly by now knows what didn't happen. Lots of smoke, no real fire, and no, I'm not going to go through most of that. And as the weekend rolled around, no, the far left didn't get their mug shots or their perp walk or their civil war even. And honestly, I can't help but think that there were probably several reasons why. It's not like we didn't know it was a farce from the get-go, so that probably isn't it. By midweek, this little embarrassment had slipped out, courtesy of Fox News and then TGP as well which is reporting that Soros henchman Alvin Bragg hid. There's a shocker. Nearly 600 pages of exculpatory evidence from the New York grand jury investigating sick, the actually elected president. Yeah, who does he think he is? The FBI? Well, the upshot is that it looks pretty strongly like not only was the star witness for the New York persecutor lying through his damnable teeth, and Soros's hitman knew it, but it's also called exculpatory evidence because it looks like Trump's lawyer even hid the payment from him and took care of it himself on the QT. Uh-oh, but wait, there's still more. As I mentioned on Monday, a lot of people are performing some political calculus here and saying, hmm. As heavy-handed and idiotic as this is, it's almost certainly likely to backfire, because if it doesn't get them their civil war, it very well may get them a big enough landslide next year to override their ability to fudge it, even with Dominion's help, and boxes stuffed full of fake ballots from dead voters. 
It almost wouldn't surprise me at this point that they wait long enough to maybe even get the fake media claim Donald Trump made the whole thing up. But if their big photo op perp walk fails, and that may be a part of the reason why they're delaying here, at least they'll still be able to say he tried to foment yet another insurrection, which probably even merits the death penalty if you're you-know-who. But I can't help but think that the real coup de grace may have been issued by none other than comedian Chris Rock, who appeared at the Kennedy Center before a whole bunch of the usual suspects, including not only nutcase Nancy Pelosi, but some high-ranking puppeteers in the Biden regime. And he did some stand-up at the Mark Twain Prize Award ceremony, asking questions like this. Are you guys really going to arrest Trump? Don't you know that's only going to make him more popular? After the laughter began, he followed up and twisted the knife. Hey, it's like arresting Tupac, he said. He's just going to sell more records. And then he asked, are you stupid? Well, it's funny, folks, because it's true. They really are. But you know what? It's also just possible that even some of the idiots in that audience realized, oh, this comedian's telling us the truth here. This is going to backfire. It already has. Which is kind of the point and the power of satire, folks. Ridicule will get through when nothing else will. And we'll pick it up with the rest of the news right after the bottom of the hour break. Stay with us. Out of the second segment for this evening, I am your host, Mark Call, and there was a continuing theme this week that I'm going to start this segment off with, things that have been hidden that are now being revealed, and let's kick it off with one that goes way back, government report. This was hidden by the scumbag, the so-called uh, first female Navy admiral, who isn't really a female, she got there with a penis, and it's not a she anyway. We're talking about so-called Rachel Levine, Dick Levine, infamous transgender, uh, and again, that's her qualification to be Assistant Secretary for Health and Human Services. But she did one thing right, at least so far as the regime's concerned. She covered up the findings of a major six-year long-delayed review conducted by the National Toxicology Program on fluoride. All right. Hey, you can take this all the way back to Dr. Strangelove. Uh, and it found, all right, I hope you're sitting down, it found that fluoride lowers children's IQ. The bottom line says the study, there is no safe level, none, to toxic fluoride. And the peer reviewers determined that, yep, this is true both prenatally and during early life exposure. And from the waste stream media, this is also newsworthy, as you might expect, crickets, nothing. We want to kill kids. We want to dumb them down. And look how good this has been working. Here's another story, courtesy of Ethan Huff and Natural News. They didn't manage to hide this one for quite as long, but it's certainly deadly. Official numbers published by the British Office for National Statistics for their socialist national health system, that's a government-run institution, show that 
By the time June 2022 arrived, one in every 73 people in England who were duped into taking the so-called vaccine, the Zyklon B injection, had died. And that number is dramatically higher than the one in 172 people who died and hadn't taken the poison poke. In every single age group, says the study, the data shows the mortality rate is highest among those who took the multiple Zyklon B injections and lowest among those who just said no to the experimental drugs and instead relied on the natural immunity that God gave them. And keep in mind, says the piece, that many months prior to this data finally being released, the UK's government denied even calculating it, let alone having it. Now suddenly, the truth has come out thanks to a Freedom of Information request that the death jabs are, in fact, taking lives at an astoundingly high rate. Yep, when all is said and done, nearly six times as many so-called vaccinated people died as the unvaccinated, even when the numbers focus specifically on the booga-booga flu. There's one courtesy of Stefan Stanford in the all-news pipeline. Doctors, it says, are issuing dire warnings about the explosion of what are called turbo cancers all across the planet. It's an alarming new scourge, not only sudden adult deaths, but in specific, people dying suddenly and unexpectedly from turbo cancers, often within days or even hours of their initial cancer diagnosis. And among other cancers in the category, there's been a huge surge in new leukemia cases diagnosed among children and young adults worldwide. The most alarming aspect of these cases being just how rapidly the disease progresses from diagnosis to death, again, often within just days. And there are several heartbreaking cases that are reviewed here. But the bottom line is, you can probably guess, can't you, even though you're not going to get much information on it, what these kids might have had in common. Evidently, folks, destroying people's immune systems just might cause an increase in cancers. We saw this same thing back in military data quite some time ago, if you recall. I mentioned in the first segment that more and more people seem to be waking up, in particular to the circus surrounding the attempt to find something, anything, to pin on Donald Trump and and prevent him from even participating in the next rigged election. 85%, and again, you wonder why it's not all of them, think that the attempt to get them to go out and protest, hardy-har, as if they still had a First Amendment right, is a trap, which leads your host to this question. If the deep state hadn't got their civil war kicked off yet, how are they doing on the World War III escalation front? Here's one from the Daily Mail. A dramatic moment of escalation, they say, when a Russian Sukhoi Su-35 fighter jet intercepted not one but two U.S. nuclear bombers headed towards Russia over the Baltic Sea. There is dramatic footage reportedly captured from the Su-35, which appears to confirm what happened on Tuesday. In the video captured from close range, it showed one of the two American aircraft soaring above the clouds. This after two U.S. planes were seen being escorted by Polish fighter jets. Said the Russian Foreign Ministry, the Su-35's flight was strictly in line with international rules of airspace use, adding no violation of the state border of the Russian Federation was permitted. And the Daily Mail adds the obvious here. Tensions between Washington and Moscow are now at their highest since the Cold War. Some of us would say, ah, come on, let's be honest here. Certainly at their highest since the early 1960s and the Cuban Missile Crisis. But arguably, we're closer than the world has ever been. But when it comes to escalation towards an outright nuclear confrontation as part of World War And, of course, crossing yet more red lines, it's tough to top this one. The United Kingdom's Deputy Minister of Defense, Annabel Goldie, publicly stated on Tuesday that the U.K. will supply Ukraine with DU, or depleted uranium ammunition, for some of the weapons systems now being supplied by NATO. And their push towards World War III going hot, 
Russia has previously warned that the use of DU will be considered an attack via dirty nuke and will result in a nuclear response. If you recall, folks, and Hal Turner's radio show reminds us of this as well, Konstantin Gavrilov, head of the Russian delegation to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, or the OSCE, publicly threw down the nuclear gauntlet, saying that if such shells are delivered to Kiev, we will consider this the use of dirty nuclear bombs against Russia with all the ensuing consequences. Unquote. There's still smoke and fire coming from other areas as well, like the uh, melting down of the economy. Just in case you're wondering how the Trump's capade managed to push all the bankster fallout off the front pages. This comes from Breitbart. InfoWars had it up as well. Half the companies in the U.S. that are devoted to wokeness, climate change, and biotech. All banked with one infamous and now failed Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, leaving many of those companies looking for financial backers willing to take on inordinate amounts of risk. And this from San Francisco Bay Area public radio station KQED, which says that many of those companies received funding from SVB in the first place because other banks weren't willing to go so far out on a limb and fund investments that had lower chances of actually providing a return. Here's the quote. Nearly half of the country's bio and climate tech companies, many of them headquartered where else in the Bay Area, banked with Silicon Valley Bank. And last year, SVB committed to investing at least $5 billion bucks in the so-called clean tech industry. But even as the FDIC quickly stepped into guarantee deposits, even above their limits, following the bank's collapse, many companies are still scrambling to find new banks, open accounts, and reorganize their payroll systems. Ah, oh, the poor little Wookiee parasites... And the story adds that SVB was widely known for incubating ambitious climate und biotech startups. In other words, folks, if there was pseudoscientific anti-human BS to be funded, they were up there front and center. And they were a valuable resource for new companies looking for a bank willing to invest, and that might be an odd choice of a word there, in innovative and somewhat risky ventures. Even though most of these companies, admits the piece, weren't filling some vital market need. In fact, there wouldn't even be a market for most of this crap if it wasn't being done by a coercive, overbearing, fully woke government. Rather, as the journal reported, SVB was beloved for their willingness to offer, quote, banking services to startups that often weren't profitable, in some cases didn't even have a product, and would otherwise have had a hard time getting a line of credit or a loan from a larger bank. Some might now even say... From a real bank, do we still have any of those? And the story adds this. One tech entrepreneur provided Law.com with a more scathing description of SVB's products. They're basically subprime business loans. You're talking about companies that have no credit profile. They're burning cash and are unlikely to raise the same type of capital because of interest rates. It was basically social credit, unquote. And there you go, folks, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. And now you know why Big Brother Biden was so quick to bail him right on out. That and, of course, the CCP connection we've already talked about. Michael Snyder and his Economic Collapse blog elaborates a bit on that and gives us an update on the economic meltdown still in progress. Fear is in the air. He begins in recent days. We've seen a level of panic we've not witnessed since 2008. And in such an environment, people just want to make sure that their money is safe, as if they really could when it's denominated in fiat, folks. But there are very few places in our financial system, he says, that are truly safe at this point, and maybe that's an understatement. The cryptocurrency industry has already experienced an absolutely disastrous crash. Collapsing bond prices have blown a $620 billion black hole in bank balance sheets, 
Residential real estate prices, along with commercial before them, have absolutely started to plummet. And now the largest commercial real estate crisis in the entire history of the United States is looming. The good news, he says, is that stock prices are holding steady, at least for now. But that can only last so long. Just like we witnessed back in 2008, a major banking crisis will inevitably hit the stock market pretty darn hard. I wish that wasn't true, he says, but without the banks, we just don't have an economy. And, of course, that's part of the reason why they're under attack. Although, arguably, it's the very, very big banksters that are doing the attacking, so it's not like one hand isn't eating the other. Right now, though, he says, we're in the midst of a nationwide banking crisis we've not seen since the Great Recession. Some of us might say it goes back further than that. And this quote actually comes from the Daily Mail. It continues that the frightening saga has transpired over the course of just two weeks, and it spurred the demise of now four major banks, Silvergate, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature, and most recently, major global lender Credit Suisse. But that's not all, says Snyder. Even though our so-called leaders have had 15 years to figure things out since the last financial crisis, what did they do? Kick the can down the road and double down. Their response to this new crisis has been a complete flop so far. Some of his folks would go a step further and say, no, it was exactly what they intended to do and have been setting up for. Obviously, among other things, by not allowing any correction or liquidation of bad assets to ever happen. Despite having already been rescued, remember that big story? First Republic fell another 47% on Monday, and that led losses among various regional banks. The stock, which had been at 115 bucks a share back in early March, was now trading around 12 bucks per share on Monday, the lowest level in a decade, and down 87% from just one brief month ago. And this, of course, as you probably know, after the biggest banksters in America poured $30 billion into the troubled institution, probably knowing fully well what was going to happen, but not to worry. You know how they're going to get it back. What does that mean? J.P. Morgan Chase and the other big banksters are now working on a new, improved solution. The Wall Street Journal reported earlier that J.P. Morgan and its CEO, Jamie Dimon, were now working with others in the industry on a solution for the bank. <laughs> no word on what that's going to look like, but you can probably guess. Says Snyder, no, the sad truth is they don't know how to handle what we're facing. They're just making things up as they go along. And while that might be an interesting sentiment, folks, your host does think it's a bit more insidious than that. And let's not forget, he notes that the same thing still is happening over in Europe. Shares of Credit Suisse are down 67% over the last month. And in recent days, a purchase of the bank by UBS has been hastily arranged. Unfortunately, for those holding the additional Tier 1 bonds, the value of those securities will be written off to zero as part of the new deal. Surprise, surprise, surprise. One selection of Credit Suisse's bondholders is set to be wiped out, says the story here. This time from CNBC. The Swiss regulator FINMA announced on Sunday that the so-called additional Tier 1 bonds, which are widely regarded as relatively risky investments, I guess relatively risky is relatively vague nowadays, but they'll be written to zero as part of the deal anyway. Their 16 billion Swiss franc investment will become worthless even though shareholders were supposed to be subordinate to bondholders, which obviously isn't what the bondholders were anticipating. The Tier 1 bondholders, as you might suspect, since they thought they were in first position, are angry over the deal. And here's the point, folks. I guess this ought to teach somebody something. And as Snyder puts it, they just changed the rules of the game on the fly. And as a result, the entire market for AT1 bonds is crashing, like the house of cards that it, in hindsight at least, obviously is. Concludes Michael Snyder, the financial world was supposed to, or at least it used to operate, on a very predictable set of rules. Well, you know what, folks? Your host will say again, that was back when we actually had honest money, based on scriptural principles like honest weights and measures. 
And since that became a lie, it's pretty clear, so is everything else. But just imagine, concludes Michael Snyder, about what conditions will be like when dozens more banks start to go belly up. We're in uncharted territory, he says, and things are only going to get crazier from here. When it comes to economic collapse, however, it's tough to top the food price inflation leading to famine that we've also seen building to a climax. This piece from All News Pipeline's Susan DeClos kind of summarizes things. Alarming new numbers, says the headline, show why countless Americans will starve to death in the year ahead with one retailer who can't even afford to sell eggs anymore. And the USDA is now predicting continued increases for food at home throughout the year 2023. So while distractions abound in the news, she begins, what's slipping through the cracks is related to food and how we can expect a lot more food inflation through this next year. The banking failures, along with news of what's expected to be the imminent indictment of the actually elected president as the witch hunts against him continue, are all newsworthy events. But ignoring the data from February concerning food inflation ain't going to make it go away. The latest CPI data claimed that inflationary price increases are not resetting as fast or as uniformly as consumers want. Hmm. And, of course, Shadowstash and John Williams say it's really worse than the consumer price inflation from the various bureaus of lying statistics are ever about to admit. The 10.2% supposed increase in food at home prices annual rate in February was down, or so they say, from the 11.3% recorded in January and 11.8% in December of last year, per the latest CPI data from the U.S. Bureau of <laughs> Labor Statistics. Overall inflation, they claim, continued to drop in February to only 6%, but still, the U.S. Department of Agriculture estimates that, quote, food price inflation could increase another 8% this year after racing to its highest level last year, just shy of 10% since 1979. And, of course, if you actually measured it honestly, it would have eclipsed that by a long shot. As John Williams points out, they changed the way they do the calculations after that. So when they say food inflation only went up 9.5% in February in comparison to February 2022, which was then only up just under 8% from 2021, they're downplaying the amount of pain that those living paycheck to paycheck are feeling year after year. She notes, presenting a chart from 1968 to the present, that it's very rare that you ever see any negative numbers, meaning food prices just plain don't go down after they rise this high. At best, they might simply rise at a lower rate. In other words, a smaller percentage increase. But still, folks, even if they lie about it in the press, it's still an increase. Said a speaker at the USDA's 99th Annual Ag Outlook Forum, higher prices will continue to affect pretty much anything shoppers put in their carts or order out. No segment of the food market will be spared from historically high inflation again this year, says the USDA. And this is a very high level of inflation. It isn't attributable to any single category, but rather it's driven by higher prices across the board. Prices for all food categories increased at least 5% in 2022. And so, says Susan Duclos, what the data tells us is that our eyes aren't lying to us every time we go to the grocery store, and food inflation is only going to get worse from here. But we're never likely to see the prices we witnessed in 2020 or even 2021 again. MLive.com details how meats hit a 16% increase at one point, and although some claim that the prices may have relaxed a bit, they're still much higher than they were and likely to stay that way. Other items include butter, which has gone up over 31%, margarine by almost 44%. Milk has seen a decline in global production over the last 12 months, which is why milk, butter, and other dairy product prices have increased so dramatically. Margarine, though, is made from vegetable oil, which has gone up in price itself, 
due to global shocks in production areas. She notes that an all-news pipeline reader wrote in to say, I'm in southern Pennsylvania. I use heavy cream to make ice cream from my own fresh goat's milk. It's been almost impossible to find since Christmas. So frustrating. Eggs, though, have seen the highest increases year over year, which brings us, she notes, to recent reports that Dollar Tree reportedly can't even afford to continue selling eggs due to the extremely high prices. Here's the quote. In recent months, the prices of eggs, as everybody knows, has increased significantly. The cost of eggs jumped 38% for producers annually in February, 55% for shoppers, and so the average cost for a dozen grade-A large eggs has been reported at $4.21. CNN, though, claims the significant price surge is due to a short supply caused by the deadly avian flu. No, it's caused by the idiotic reaction, folks. They're killing everything that has wings to the deadly avian flu, as well as high production costs and egg producers increasing their, oh, what a bunch of egg producers increasing their own profits. Those that haven't had their flocks destroyed, I guess. Or maybe they don't have to pay for things like feeding their chickens if they're still alive. In other words, folks, there's another element of the food price inflation that they don't like to emphasize in the corporate media. Concludes Susan DeClos for the All News Pipeline. There's been a lot happening of late from bank failures and train derailments and, of course, burning things so that they can destroy even more farmland. Witch hunts and a liberal media that appear to care more about protecting the Biden fewer from the ramifications of his communist Chinese-controlled policies than they do about Americans being able to eat. And, yeah, I paraphrase that just a bit. The shortages, though, don't seem to be quite as bad as they were last year, mostly because stores have now adjusted. They've limited selections on certain products and it Tempted to make the shelves appear to be more full, but the continued food inflation is still causing many families pain as they're forced to pick and choose the lowest priced products just to try and keep feeding their families. Here next, a story that's not getting nearly the attention it deserves because it's that important comes from Revolver News. The Biden regime has now attempted to toss a young man in jail for 10 years for the crime of producing memes. Yeah, clever little pictures, you've all seen them, that convey a message. If it's a political message and if it's politically incorrect, I guess, uh, your right to speech, gone. Now we're to walk in freedom, gone. This is quite a downright scary piece. I first heard Doug Hagman talking about it the other day. He is one of many people, that would include your host, this network, and just about everybody that you've ever heard on any of these networks that talks about the truth and is pointing out things that Big Brother doesn't want people to know and so forth. Well, this fellow's name is Douglas Mackey. He was one of many anonymous Twitter users who made the 2016 election, that was the Trump versus Hitler, so memorable, so important. His only claim to fame was that he started producing these clever memes. As a result, they want him gone. It's almost like what we're seeing this week with Trump. So what this fellow Mackey, Douglas Mackey, actually did was he used a nom de plume, Ricky Vaughn, and it was after Charlie Sheen's character in the, the, the movie Major League. He collected thousands of followers, and he basically produced some anti-Hitlery memes that had to do with things that are, I think, uh, kind of funny. But, oh, wait a second. If you talk about them, they may want to throw you in jail, too. Uh, one of them, the first one, the most notorious, I'm with her, says one of the hashtags, go Hitlery. And they spelled it wrong. Uh, Avoid the line. Vote from home. Text Hillary to 59925 was what it said. Oh, careful, folks. I wonder if you can just repeat the text here and be accused of disinformation. 
the story, it says, you may not know about Mackey's case. It's far less notorious than the January 6th uh, not insurrection with the um, false flag, agent provocateurs, or the murder trial, for example, of, of Kyle Rittenhouse. But in terms about how free speech matters and it's being destroyed, it's important as either of those, perhaps even more so. January 2021. This fellow, though, Mackey, was charged with conspiring, I, this is disgusting to me, i got to admit it, conspiring to deprive people of their constitutional right to vote because of illegal memes. What, you mean he didn't even rig the counting or stuff boxes? Now, here's the meat of the case. Specifically, the DOJ claims that the memes, and they, they published them here, the other one is uh, in Spanish, they claim, this is the Department of Justice and uh, the whores in there that uh, have anything to, nothing to do with constitutional protections, everything to do with raping the Constitution and Bill of Rights. They actually charged this guy with a violation of 18 U.S. Code Section 241. Now, what's funny is patriots will try to use this to say that uh, when Big Brother comes and tries to deprive you of your God-given constitutionally protected right, you should sue them under that. Well, good luck. I know of any number of people who have talked about those kind of cases. And what you'll find is, if they deprive you of your right to keep and bear arms, <laughs> if they're unqualified but PC enough, they could be transportation secretary. But on the other hand, if somebody that actually has God-given rights that are being gang-raped tries to use this, it uh, doesn't work. As a matter of fact, they probably end up being the ones in jail. But when Big Brother wants to come after you, isn't it funny how it works just like gangbusters? The DOJ's argument is that by posting the memes that I mentioned here on Twitter back in 2016 and designing them to resemble a Hillary Clinton ad, the public was deceived into casting invalid text messages. And this was part of a conspiracy. Oh, there you go. See, there are real conspiracies. It's just only people that they label as right wing that actually commit such. To be clear, the FedGov doesn't and cannot show that the claim that they made actually happened. In other words, can they produce even a single person that was fooled by the dumb meme into not voting, even once? But they can claim that it was disinformation, and you don't actually have to have any proof to claim that they're guilty of that. And that's the key here. Section 241 talks about depriving someone of a constitutionally protected right, unless, of course, you're ATF and it's your job, or pretty much anything else actually written there in the Bill of Rights. Well, those rights don't matter. We're going to deprive you of those all day long, hardy-har. So Big Brother does it. Yeah, you can forget about it. But you peons, we will accuse you of doing exactly what we're doing. Does that sound familiar? The DOJ claims that the law's scope, when it's not applied to uh, people who are actually doing it, might possibly include tricking someone with a meme on Twitter. No, obviously this has never been used this way before. It's a drastic escalation of the use of disinformation as an excuse to target dissenting political voices. And uh, you already knew that, didn't you? Look at what we've seen just this last week alone. The problem here, folks, is that it's not just silencing them, banning them, censoring their speech. It's about trying to throw them in Biden's gulag again. <laughs> 